Good morning, family. Uh, my lovely wife, Tracy, and myself, Mo, if you don't know who I am or who we are, we are the Compassion Ministry for the, for the church. And uh, if you don't know what that is, call us. Let us, let us tell you exactly what we do. So uh, once again, beauty and the beast. Good morning. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Matthew seven twenty-five through 29. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, pray with me as I pray. Um, Father God, I do thank you for that truth. I thank you that you are the one of authority that we gather here under the beautiful name of Jesus because that name is the name above all names. Because he alone is worthy of our praise. If for no other reason than the cross, our souls should hunger to follow hard after him. But there are infinitely more reasons even than that. So Lord, as we continue to sit at his feet and hear his teaching, I pray that it would do its work in our lives. Not me, but that your word and your spirit would do your conforming work in our lives for your glory. Lord, it is in the name of Jesus that we gather. It is the name of Jesus that we praise. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat and go ahead and grab your Bibles. Find Matthew chapter 7. We are in this series that we're calling um, The Kingdom of Heaven and how it's this upside-down kingdom from the world. And today we're going to finally finish what we started, I think, back in like October, um, which is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Uh, but I want to start by just even where, where the passage that Mo and Tracy that, um, read, which was a part of our daily reading today, about building our house on the right foundation. Guys, how we live our lives, what we're building our lives upon, um, is informed and transformed what, how we live our lives, what we're building our lives on, is informed and transformed by what's called our worldview. So our worldview would be another way of thinking of a worldview would be, as, it, as it's, it seems self-explanatory, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, a worldview is simply the lenses through which we are seeing what is going on in the world, whether it's right here in this room, out there in the parking lot, or something even on the internet or on your television. What are the lenses we're using to, um, to decipher and, and describe what is going on in our world? And so the first question I want to ask today is, what informs your worldview? Like, where do people get their worldview? What kinds of places do we get our, our lenses from? What kinds of places? Politics. The media is a huge one. I heard somebody say politics. politics. So politics, like, like our, whatever, maybe what our tribe is politically will absolutely flavor our worldview. Um, media flavors our worldview. I heard somebody else say 
culture, so just like that's a big the culture like, like that we're in. So, so our worldview, in, I mean, even, even in the southwest of the United States, our, our worldview is different than maybe if we were living in or had grown up in the northeast or the deep south. But that's just in America. Now imagine, like, what is your worldview if you're in Iran? Right? What is your worldview right now if you're in Gaza or Israel? I heard somebody else say something that... Okay, so like so so Jan said school and, and specifically she was referring to like the this idea that like the, the the colleges and universities that have all very much moved in a progressive liberal way. Um, but it could also be if you're at a conservative school. Like there would be that same that's that there would be that thing too. So so understand here here's the bottom line that that, that we spend even time talking about it at our leadership meetings. Um, we talk about it in our family sometimes as well. Is because at the very least what we, we need to all come to a place of, as, and this isn't just for Christians, this is, is recognizing that you have a worldview, and that your worldview influences how you see everything you see, and that's why you and, like I, you and I might be looking at the exact same thing, reading the same article, watching the same show, and we might hear and see two very different things. I mean, if you've been married very long at all, you understand how many times you and your spouse can be nodding your head like this, only later to find out it was a whole lot of that. That like, you're like, you thought you were having the same conversation, genuinely. But because, because we don't, we, I can't look in and see what your lens is as you and I are talking. So we're talking and we think we're saying the same thing, but it's being filtered through a different prism. So it, it can come out sometimes way off and sometimes just nuanced different. That's part of what makes communication so incredibly hard. But also when it's done well, so incredibly beautiful. A couple of things, so, so, so we know, like, so basically our experiences inform and transform our worldview. That is absolutely true. It's part of why we gather is because this is an experience here today, gathering as God's people, is an, is an experience that will help inform and transform your worldview to look more like Jesus. I mean, that's the hope of, of the leaders at Crosstrain, is why we plan the services the way we do, from, from the, the welcome to the music to the prayer time, all of it, and Jeff did a great job of, of reminding us of that. It's really to conform us to the image of Jesus. That's the plan, because that's, we're, trying to, we're trying to make that lens, that Jesus lens, even more... Um, powerful in our worldview so that's because there's a desperate need for us to grow in our in our like clarity of thought and here's so just uh, George Barna maybe you've heard of him he's one of the he's one of the he's probably the premier Christian researcher in America he, he's on all kinds of shows including things like CNN and Fox News etc um, he just came out with some new studies that he did a, a, a long-term study um, but here's some, just a couple of things real quick six percent six percent of Americans have a biblical worldview now six percent Oh, no, it gets better. The only 37% of, of um, pastors in Christian proclaiming churches, only a third of pastors in Christian proclaiming churches have a biblical worldview. Right, guys. This is why several a few years ago we saw. I mean, we, it, we these these numbers have have 
have, are they're not new. I mean, they're, they're, they're just getting worse. But it's part of why back in 2020, when we, had to, uh, when we were nomads and in four different places for 18 months and trying to find a place to go during every, everybody's favorite time, COVID, and, um, and one of the things that the leadership said is we need to double down on not only pro, like just what we've always been, which is about the Word of God, but helping each other teach others the Word of God. So it went from just saying, hey, we want to we wanna be participants in hearing the word, but we want to be participants in practicing the word and in proclaiming it and teaching it to other people. And that's really um, what drove us uh, to change our name from Cornerstone to Cross Train. It's also what um, even just re- more recently led us to start Matthew back in August. Is because we can't think of a better way to prepare to teach God's word than to sit at the feet of the one who is the word and hear what he has to say. Because with so many competing voices out there in the world, guys, we have to, we, we, which, which some of them we could more, we could do a better job of actively drowning out like some of those other voices that are telling us unbiblical things. But, but some of it we just can't. We, it's just it's everything else. We have to really get better at, in our time with him, really hearing from him. And so all that to say, um, we are at this place in the Gospel of Matthew that is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, and this idea of what's going on in our culture, what's going on in our world, what's going on in your life and my life really helps drive the point home. So when we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, and it says, and, and this is where we ended last week, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many or enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and few find it. Guys, like, like, that should, like what I was just sharing about worldview and the, and the state of our reality, that, that should really escalate the weight or, or add to the weight of those words of Jesus. Narrow is the way and few find it. Now, as Christians, I want to say one more thing. We don't want to make the, we, we don't want to broaden What's happened a lot, and part of why the church in America is in the mess that it's in, is because what we did was we felt like the way was too narrow. So we broadened the way that we still call the way of Christ by um, in progressivism and liberalism that is that is now said, well, you know, Jesus is just one way, but we're still a church that professes faith in Christ. All kinds of different liberal things. So we've broadened the the narrow way too broad, but in other ways, and this is the part I would say at a church like ours that's probably more conservative, certainly more word-centered, we have to be careful that we haven't narrowed the narrow way more narrow than he meant it to be by putting up our own little lane closed signs right like like you we don't want to make our thing so in in the grand scope of church 2,000 years of biblical I'm not talking why I'm talking biblical church history orthodoxy we want to hold on to that we want to hold on to to what the not to what the word says and 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 what Christians throughout the 2,000 years of Christianity have said about what the word says and and not narrow down in secondary and, and what are called tertiary or, or third-tier things, that unless you believe this part of the gospel truth, you don't really believe in the gospel. Now, I'm going to avoid giving examples because, one, I would go on forever, and, two, I don't have time to, to, to have that discussion. But if you want more, if you want to hear more about, like, what, what do you mean by putting up our own road closed signs, well, the way I've been describing it is this is, what we, this, is this idea of siloing or tribing up. 
that, that, that we try to find churches, we try to find Christians, we try to find even just home churches, small groups, whatever, that are, that, are, that are thinking exactly the way we think about this one narrow part of the narrow way. And so now we've really narrowed it down and gone, man, for you to be a Christian, like it's not even like the, the way is narrow, like it's a one-lane road. This is like walking along on the bike path trying to make your way, you know, to, it's just that that's what Christianity has become um, in our circles. And we need to be more open to the, to the things that, that are not as clear in Scripture as we would like them to be. And I, and I say all of that to say this, we're going to come into some teaching in Matthew 8, 9, and 10, Lord willing, in the next few weeks, that, is, that for some of us is going to push back against our narrow way of thinking. Because we're going to see Jesus do some really, in our Western science minds, we're going to see Jesus do some crazy stuff. Right? And so I hope you're ready, because I am. I'm apprehensive, but I am ready. Um, and so, so with that, last week, we, so we're doing a two-part um, thing on this idea of, of kingdom, the kingdom of God, and, and living a kingdom life. And last week, we talked about being kind, like, like, how, like being kind to one another. And we went through the first part of, the God, of Matthew chapter 7. So this week, what we're talking about is, okay, so if, if last week was being kind, this week is building on. It's, if we're going to live this Christ life, this kingdom life, if we're going to live a life like, like, like Christ calls us to, one, he called us to be kind to one another. We end it with the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then the, the second thing is he, he's going to bring us to is this idea of now build your life on what I tell you to do. So if you remember, I'm not going to belabor it again, but if you remember this, this part right here where we're going to jump in in verse 15 of chapter 7 is where Jesus, he goes from, from speaking a ton of commands or imperatives in the Greek. So from, from chapter 5, verse 21, until we get to this point of, chapter, of, of verse 15 of chapter 7, he, in 70 verses, he barks out 60 commands. Now from here to the end of the chapter, there's one. And it's this first word, beware. He's commanding us to beware of the false teachers. So, this is, so now he's, because remember, the whole point of the, of the Sermon on the Mount is, here's who you are. Now do this. This is what my kingdom people do because here's what, how you live. This is what you build your life on, and that's what we're going to look at today is how we build our life, and, and that's the, um, are we building on the right foundation, right? And so the question I'm asking today is, how do you know? How do we know if we're building on the right foundation? And I've got three points, and they're going to go pretty rapidly, um, for all kinds of reasons, because I don't think we need to belabor them. But how do we know if you're building on the right foundation? Well, one, you look at the results. Like, look at the results of your building project. Two, you make sure that you know the architect. And three, you follow his blueprint. Right? And that's really what he's... he's so he's transitioning from, I've just, I've just hit you with a whole... He's, he's talking to his people. He's talking to us. He's talking to them on the mountain. And he says, I've just hit you with a whole lot of things about how you live your life. Now I'm telling you what you need to do to make that happen. And, and that's ultimately where, so where we'll pick it up. So, this, so, so first, it says, look at these results. Look at the results. So look at verse 15 of chapter 7. Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered by thorn bushes or figs by thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, and a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a diseased tree 
bear bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So as we talk about this idea of looking at their results, the word fruits come out. This idea of fruits is just what is the visible part of your life? How do you know what kind of tree something is? I mean, unless you're a botanist and you happen to be able to tell by the leaves, how are you going to tell if it's an orange tree or a grapefruit tree? By the fruit. That's his point. And he's saying, so, so a good tree has good fruit and a bad tree has bad fruit. So he's saying, you will, but who's he saying you'll know them by? Who did he start with? Remember, context is king. The false teachers. Now, false teachers could be pastors, priests, what, like, what, the, uh, in their vernacular, scribes, Pharisees. It could be that. But guys, it, he's saying, beware of the false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothes, because it isn't, so it isn't just people in authority. There are, are there a lot of false teachers out there that are professing faith in Christ, like, and they have big followings on YouTube or whatever? Absolutely, that, that's true. But we need, to, we need to not just go, okay, I need to be sure I'm, yes, we need to be listening to good people on our podcast, and yes, we need to be reading good books by good authors, and all, but guys, carry it to this level too, because Jesus is. He's saying they're, they're dressed as sheep. That's you and I. That's everybody. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. He's not just saying, be careful of the leaders that are professing false doctrine. He's saying, watch out for each other. Because even, even among us, I mean, one of, uh, there's this amazing scene where Paul is leaving the Ephesus, and it's in Acts chapter 20, I think, and he's weeping. And part of his, and, and I think about this, like after every one of my classes that I teach and, um, at, at the school or at, at the university, and, and, I, and I've really grown to love these kids, and, and, and my heart just hurts for them, because much like, like Jeff was talking about, or Taylor and Farron were saying, like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance to interact with these people again. And like Paul, my heart is, because his heart, Paul's heart in that moment is, he's like, I know that when I leave you guys, the church at Ephesus, he says, I know when I leave, that these people are going to creep in like wolves, and they're going to draw you away, right? Like, like, that should be our heart for each other, and it's also why we need to gather, like we talked about last week, like, like um, uh, Jeff did not know I was going to do this, but he was talking about, like, having a mirror at the beginning, like, what is the mirror that we're holding up? Guys, part of why we need to gather is because my mirror all by itself, my lenses are not perfect, your lenses are not perfect. My mirror will, will show back. If the only mirror I'm looking at is me, and I go, yeah, but it's through the lens of the word. Okay, great. But if it's just me through the lens of the word, me, Holy, even Holy Spirit filled, my lens is not perfect. I need your lens to go, hey, man, maybe you're, maybe you're a little off there. Maybe you've just made yourself look a little better in that part of your life, like according to the word, because you want to. So he's saying here, false teachers could be anybody like within you that are not adhering to the word, but how will you know them? You'll know them by their fruit. And again, I actually started laughing when Mark, during our prayer time, Mark started talking about John 15, because he didn't know it was in my notes. But this is, the, 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 this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's talking about fruit and how, you, and how we'll know them by their fruit. At the end of his earthly ministry, in John 15, on his way to the cross, he's walking with his disciples. They're, he's going from the upper room or the Last Supper on his way um, to the Mount of Olives to pray. And then he's going to get crucified, and he knows it. And he stops along the way, and he points to a, a, vine, a vine, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But, but he says, but when you're connected to me, 
When you're connected to me, you will produce fruit. And he goes on at the end of that passage and he says, and your fruit will remain. Your fruit will last. Because what the fruit he's talking about here and there in John is souls of people. He's talking about the fruit of relationship. And, and how are we doing with that? So we're going to look at your second talking points question. What is the connection between root and fruit? So I just spent all this time talking about fruit. What's the connection between root and fruit? Okay, in order to bear good fruit, you have to have strong roots. Good. Yeah, what you're, I love that. Because we, obviously we're sitting here at church, we're thinking about being rooted in the rock that is Christ, and we'll get there. But you can, you can grow your roots in all kinds of stuff. So what are some things that people, I'll just say people, not you, that people grow their roots down into? Politics? Right? You, know, you know, can we just stop for a second and say, that is going to be the answer between now and, and until, like, uh, you know, and, and it's only going to be a bigger answer between now and November, let's face it, right? So um, we are in for a ride, so here we go. Um, but we're in it together, people, that's the, that's the thing, right? So, okay, so politics, what else do we grow our roots in? Social media. We start, guys, guys I, if, if you caught any of the stuff that was going on with Zuckerberg and the rest of them um, being, um, what would you call it? Uh, grilled, yeah, uh, by, the, by the Senate, and talking about how um, like the, all the statistics that show that like, like the, the, the amount of damage that social media has done to young people, especially young females, and, um, and how they've known it, and they've known it from the beginning, and how it's, it's and what and where that comes from is because there, those every time you're scrolling through Instagram, you are growing roots of wrong identity into the mirror you're looking at. Okay, let's keep going. Family, yeah, you can have roots that aren't like inherently evil, right? Not that politics or social media are inherently evil, but maybe. Um, no, no, they're not. They're not. I'm glad. I'm, get involved politically, seriously. But. So that's not my point. But, but, but even things that, like family, we can grow our roots down to, like, like when, when something, anything can become an idol. You know, Paul Tripp says it this way, I think. He says, even good things become bad things when they become heart-controlling things. So the minute, the minute we grow our roots into something that isn't Jesus, that is now controlling our hearts, it has moved from good to bad, if that makes any sense. So... Um, what do we tend to look at and focus on the most, though, as Christians? Do we look at root or fruit in our own lives? We tend to look at fruit, don't we? Like, rarely do I stop and go, yeah, but how are my roots doing? Or how are your roots doing? Right? I tend to look and go, man, your fruit looks like a bunch of, it looks like a bunch of dry, dried apricots. Right? Like, what's the deal? And, and that's how we tend to judge each other. That's how we tend to judge ourselves. And, and what we have to do is we have to back up and go, but if we want to fix that, we have to get to the root of the problem. And that's really the point here. So I, I love how um, Paul, in, in addressing, this, I, I use this passage a lot lately, in addressing um, people who are struggling with good fruit and bad fruit, the Galatians, right? He says, 
This, this passage that you guys know well, the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, um, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you and have warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. But guys, get this. This is why I, I, I've read that almost every Sunday, I feel like, in the last couple of months. Because it just messes with Because I'm like, which one of those fruit lists, the fruit of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit, is, is most identifying Doug in this moment? Because this is who I am, right? And, and what, but here's the thing. Paul intentionally begins and ends that passage with, with the same thought. He starts the passage with, if you are alive in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. In other words, if you have been born again, then the same power that bore you again is now in you to live through you, to walk day by day. And then he finishes the thought the same way. He says in, in verse 25, he says, if we are alive by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the question starts to become for us, when we're talking about fruit and good fruit and bad fruit, part of what we have to figure out is, yes, we need to, we need to evaluate good and bad by the Word of God, but we need to walk in it by the power of the Spirit, moment by moment. Like, this isn't just, I, there is an eternity of difference between knowing some things in the Word and having them lived out in your life by the power of the Spirit in the moment you're in. Like, that's a massive difference. So we got to keep going. How do we know that we're building on the right foundation? One, we look at the results. The second thing is you got to know the architect. Some of the scariest words Jesus, Jesus ever teaches. Look at verse, the next three verses. Not everyone says to me, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. That's curios, curios. It's not God, God. Not just, so he's saying like... I am a person of authority. He says, not anyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, the one who is walking in step with the Spirit. And then he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Now, guys, again, we can read that. We can go, oh my goodness, these people were doing stuff. They were doing stuff in his name. Well, guys, does, and, and start going, so obviously it doesn't matter at all what we do. Does it matter what we do? Yeah, does Jesus care about what we do? Absolutely. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you to do? Right? Like, that, like, that is, like Jesus makes more commands about what we're to do then he, does, he makes no suggestions, right? But what we have to remember, and even here what we have to remember is what the doing flows from the being. He's, so these people are doing stuff. They're doing crazy stuff. Like, I don't mean like crazy woo I mean like powerful stuff. But they don't know Jesus. That, he says, I didn't know you. So then you're like, okay, but, but how, do that, how then? That begs the question. How do we know that we know that we know? What if I'm just walking around? What if I'm just preaching God's word in the name of Christ? And on that day, he looks at me and he says, depart from me for I never knew you. Like, like there, there have been moments in my life, even today as a 55-year-old, where I stop and go, okay, man, gut check time. Yeah, yeah, oh, yes, here's how I know, I know that I know, I know that I know that I know, right? Because, because I have all of this 
fruit-filled evidence, not just in my life, but in my heart, between he and I. There's a scene in 1 Samuel 15 where Saul, who's the king before King David, and, and at this point in Saul's life, he's trying to do the right thing. And so Samuel said, God says, hey, here's what you're going to do. You're going to wipe out these people. You're going you're to kill everything. Saul has this idea. But a better way to worship God is to sacrifice, because that's part of their process, is sacrificing lambs and stuff. So he sets aside the best of these herds, to, to, because in his, in his mind, following, in, his, in our world, following Jesus this way makes the most sense. But that's not what he was told to do. So Samuel fronts him up, and he's like, hey, how come you didn't do what I told you to do? And Samuel's like, I did hear, I did exactly what you told me to do. And so Samuel's like, so then what is all this bleeding in my ear? In other words, why do I keep hearing, why do I hear all these sheep behind me if you did what you were told to do? And Samuel, Saul, like, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, just like we do today, he's trying, he's like, yeah, but, but it's just a great way to worship the Lord. Doesn't this make way more sense? Right? Doesn't it make more sense to do it my way and not the way the architect told me to do it? And, Saul, and Samuel says to him, what would God rather have? Would he rather have sacrifice, these animals, or would he rather have your obedience? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Right? Like that's ultimately where he's, where, what he's getting to. I, God says it himself in Isaiah this way, Isaiah 29. And the Lord said, because these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. So they're saying they're doing all the religion. They're saying they're casting out demons in his name. They're all the things that Jesus just said here. Did we not prophesy in your name? But their hearts are far from me. In commandments taught by men. Because of this, I will once again astound these hypocrites with amazing wonders. This wisdom, their wisdom of the wise will pass away, and the intelligence of their intelligent of the, their, the intelligence of the intelligent will disappear. Okay, so our last talking points question. How can we know? How can we know that we know that we know that we're really following Jesus? I'm asking. Like, what are some ways that you know when someone is really following Jesus? He tells us what he commanded us, and that's to believe on him who he has sent. Mm. It's believing on him and, and then doing what he's commanded us to do. Go and make disciples. Right? We talk, and again, we talked about there is, an, there is an eternity of difference between hearing, and that's what we'll see in, in, in the last point, between hearing and even knowing, and hearing, knowing, and believing, and then, and then seeing that belief, like prove, your belief proven to you by walking it out. Okay, good. How else? How else do we know somebody is following Jesus? Yeah, that's, it. That's, the, that's the next verse I have, John, John 13, 35. By this they will know that you are mine, by your love for one another. John says in 1 John 2, 6, for those who walk, who say they follow Jesus, are to walk in the manner in which he walked. They're, they're to, they're to, they're, we're, we're to copy his mannerisms. That's why we're walking through Matthew with him. Because what, if, 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 if as Christians, little Christs, the body of Christ on earth here, we are to walk in the way he walked, and we better know well how he walked. 
right? And he made disciples. He loved, he loved people. We saw last week that he was kind to people. And that brings us to our last point. So how do we know that we're building on the right foundation? One, you got to check, like, check results. Like, how, how are the fruit, how's the fruit, right? In your own life, or, yeah, et cetera. The second is, do you know the architect? Do you know that you know that you know the architect? And the last thing is, you follow the blueprint. So here's the last few, few verses, and we're going to wrap it up. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat at that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Okay, same words. If you read that passage again, same words. He hears the, both, both people that he's describing hear the word of God. Same storms. Both people experience a storm. Will you experience a storm? Yes. Does being a Christian absolve you from experiencing storms? No. In fact, it actually increases them. Like when I was not a believer, when I was an atheist, the war in my life was far less existent. I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying everything was wonderful in my life. I'm saying that I didn't know I was at war because there, there, there was no part of me that was at war with the world. But once I, got part, once I got transferred, born again into this kingdom that is to come, now that part of me is at war with this kingdom down here. So absolutely, we're going to have struggles. We're going to have trials. So these people, same words, same storms. What's the difference? What they built on. Right? Guys, it goes back to our, the point we just made. Our, our doing, even our building, has to flow from our being. It's behold, believe, Become, be, then behave. Not behave, and then hopefully you'll behold. Guys, that if, if what you try to do when you leave here today is try to live out, live in a manner, and walk in the manner in which he walked in your own strength, by your own power, and I'm just going to white knuckle this thing into existence, and I'm going to be more like Jesus this week, and I'm going to put down all that stuff I'm not supposed to be looking at, and I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to start doing this, and I'm going to, because it will wear you out. That will last until Wednesday on a good week. But if you will before, every, if every, not just every day, first thing in the morning, but throughout your day, you will put Jesus in front of you. Behold him. And from that place of beholding and, his, and be reminded of, of who you are to him and who he, says, for who he says he is, what he has already done and says he is going to do, if you will hold that in front of you throughout your day, guys, that will carry you way past Wednesday. Right? It will, in the moment you're in, when you're in that moment of tension in whatever that dynamic is, your place of work, your school, your relationship, something at home, something with your kids, looking at your checkbook, whatever it is, stop in that moment and behold Jesus and see if that doesn't make the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now again, he does say here, if he says, anyone who hears these words and does them. It's the word, James says, be a doer of the word, James chapter 1. Not just a hearer. 
I'll say it again. There is an eternity, literally an eternity of difference between just hearing and actually listening to and applying the word of God in your life. Like, there is a night and day difference. You can hear, you can even be moved emotionally. We'll see that next week. Where, and, and he dismisses the guy that's emotionally moved to follow him. You can, and, and walk away going, there was no real change there. There was no real, I didn't really hear it with the spiritual eyes of my heart. And I didn't really, I wasn't really moved to any action. Which begs the question, did we believe it in the first place? Guys, that's really the point. That's really the point of our doing. Our doing isn't to prove to him. Our doing isn't to earn. Guys, there is nothing, I'm going to finish up with this. There is nothing you can do to make Jesus love you more. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you less. Right? Yeah, praise God. The doing isn't evidence to him about how your heart is. It's evidence to you. And it is evidence to the world. And that brings him glory. And that's what he's about. That's what he's interested in. Guys, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, those who build it. Right? Unless the Lord builds the house, the watchman labors in vain. Getting, like, you're just working harder without first, in whatever area you're trying to improve in, without beholding Christ is a waste of time. That's the reality. He goes on to talk about that. Uh, Isaiah talks about it. You're going to read about this week. Peter talks about it. Peter talks about it. Um, but this idea that we are together building our lives on Christ, who is the cornerstone that was rejected. And that's true in your, home, that's in your own life, in your family, and in the church. And here's why. And I'll finish with this and have the music team come up. It says, he is the rock, the chief cornerstone, the alpha and the omega, the resurrection, the bread of life the living water, the Lamb of God, the light of the world. He is the good shepherd, the deliverer, the redeemer, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty, the great I Am. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords and Lord of all. He is the Messiah and our mediator. He is the great high priest, the prophet, and our peace. He is our sacrifice, our savior, and our sovereign. He is the one who spoke creation into existence and holds everything together by the word of his power. He is the one worthy of listening to and of living your life for. Matthew records in the last couple of verses, we looked at him last week in verse 28 and 29, and when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. So as we close, I just want to ask you again, like I did last week, does he? Does he have authority? Does he have authority over your life? Does your life demonstrate that you have beheld the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the great I am? And it has changed everything about how you live. Not in perfection. He knows that, praise God. He's not saying walk out of here and be, be perfect. Otherwise, that wasn't necessary. But he is saying walk out of here and keep me front and center. Let's pray. So Father, I just thank you for that you are the great I am. 
the one who is and was and is to come, the Almighty One. I thank you that you have come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That you have made it possible for any of the things that we have talked about or sung about even today to even happen. That had you not come here, lived the life we could not live, to die the death that we deserve so that you could defeat sin and death and rise again, we would be without hope in the world. Let us remember that those who do not yet know the beauty of the gospel, who have not yet beheld Jesus, they need to behold him. And one of the ways they do that is through those of us who have beheld. Let us be those mirrors we talked about earlier. Let us be your voice to speak your word. Let us be your hands and feet. And let all that flow from lives that, that, that willingly submit. Because what you tell us in your word, that there is no other name among, that has been given to man among heaven and earth by which we can be saved. It is Jesus and him alone who does the saving. And it is Jesus and him alone who even makes it possible for us to walk worthy. So as we were made alive in Christ, let us walk in him. In Jesus' name, amen.